What's up, everyone, and welcome to Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and this is the podcast where we'll talk about all things fitness, wellness, rehab, and more importantly, the constant pursuit of knowing better in order to do better for the people that we serve. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and today I'm super excited to have Jared Maynard on the episode, joining us from, from Canada. Um, how are you, Jared? I'm doing awesome, man. I'm, I'm excited to be here, ready for our conversation. I've been looking forward to it all day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I uh, was super excited to have you respond to me, and you know, it's kind of like one of those um, star kind of moments for me. I was just like, oh man, I wonder if Jared would ever be on. Um, and thankfully you, you know, we've kind of interacted before and, um, you were gracious enough to, uh, say yes. So I'm, I'm super pumped to have you here. My pleasure, man. I appreciate the invite. And anytime that we get to talk about some of the stuff that, that you pitched to me, I'm, I'm all about it because, uh, it's had relevance for me. And I think that if talking about it helps other people, even just know that, you know, they're not alone for one and, and maybe guide the path a little bit so that they can feel better about where they're at as, as students, new grads, coaches, clinicians. I mean, that's, that's what I'm about. Awesome. I love to hear it. Um, so if you don't mind just giving kind of the listeners a little bit of a background on who you are, kind of where you're at, um, and then we can go from there. Totally, man. So I'm a registered physiotherapist. Like you said, I'm up in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, great white North where we ride polar bears and play hockey. <laughs> Not all the time. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that. I also am the co-owner and head coach of my own powerlifting coaching company online. It's called Unbreakable Strength, working on scaling that up. And that's a passion project of mine. It's, it's pretty fun. And then also involved with clinical athlete and been involved with clinical athlete for, hmm, I think I came on as a provider in 2016. And sorry if you hear some screaming in the background. It's bedtime for my kids. <laughs> um, 2016 as a provider and then started to work more in an official capacity behind the scenes, if you will, probably sometime in 2017. And clinical athlete, for those who may not be familiar, it's a couple things. It's meant to be a, a directory, a resource for, for clinician, pardon me, for athletes who want to look, hook up with a healthcare provider who understands their needs. Um, and that's due in part to these providers being athletes themselves and staying up on the research. It's also meant to be a resource for coaches, clinicians, students, new grads to stay up on the research, share clinical cases, um, and help kind of navigate just the uncertainties and some of the usual troubles or difficulties that we run into, especially if we're trying to be more evidence-based, evidence-informed in the rehab slash performance worlds. Um, so Clinical Athlete aims to try to make that whole process at least a little bit easier. So that's me. And then uh, before the show, I was telling you, we've got twin, almost three-year-old girls and a five-month-old girl at home. My wife is a rock star. So between all these things, keeping pretty busy and, and really digging it, man. It's a good ride. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so if you don't mind giving the background, so I, um, as a physio, first of all, I've kind of jealous that you guys could call yourself physios because PT is just not nearly as cool. Um, we, we call ourselves PT as well. So yeah. I guess we just All have right. a bit of versatility. But, yeah. Um, definitely like the physio name a lot more. Sounds <laughs> just way cooler. Um, but give me a little background on, on kind of undergrad experience, kind of what did you study in college? Um, was the plan to always go to physio school or kind of give me a little background on that? For sure. So I studied kinesiology in uh, in undergrad. I don't know how prevalent kinesiology programs are in the states. Pretty prevalent. Yeah. yeah. 
Cool. So I did that. I didn't really know precisely what I wanted to do. I came out of high school thinking I might want to be a doctor. And then I realized what that actually involved. And I was just <laughs> honest enough of myself to say, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So I was looking for sort of a middle ground. And the three things that I was thinking about the most were physiotherapy, chiropractic, and or high school teaching. Because I had a couple of high school teachers that were just really impactful for me. So thanks to my dad really pushing me to get out there and shadow. Um, I shadowed at a physio clinic a couple of times, never ended up shadowing at a Cairo clinic. Um, and I, I did go back to my high school and hang out with some teachers. Physio sort of stuck, stuck out the best or the most to me in a good way. So, and I've come to find out that as I've been in the field, it, it really brings together the elements that appeal to me of teaching uh, because a good chunk of what we do as PTs is um, educating a lot of people. And it also helps to satisfy my desire to be in the science slash healthcare field, but also not have to spend like seven years in, uh, <laughs> in school after undergrad. Um, so yeah, I decided, I think around third year of my undergrad to go into PT, applied in fourth year, didn't get in anywhere. I applied to the four of the five schools that we have in Ontario, um, got rejected by all of them, but worked for a year as a kinesiologist um, at the time, it wasn't a regulated profession. It is now, but um, it gave me a year to start to apply some of the stuff that I learned in undergrad and work hands-on with people. And uh, that was really helpful. I think it was a formative thing and save up some money for, for uh, grad school. So I ended up getting in the next year. And then, yeah, grad school, it's a two-year program just for a master's in, in Canada. So that was 2013 to 2015. Been practicing since 2015. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to think about how how much I've changed and how much has changed in general mm -hmm. in the, the healthcare world just in the last five years or so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a couple of things that I kind of wanted to touch on with what you uh, were talking about there, um, you know, it sounded like, you know, your dad kind of had a good, a good push to kind of have you out there and shadowing yeah. some things. Did you ever have any experience like with physio yourself kind of going like kind of the typical story, you know, we got in a lot of, you know, most of my PT classes, like, Oh, you know, you hurt yourself doing this. You went and you know, my own myself included, yeah. um, you know, hurt my shoulder, went to PT and I was like, Oh, this is kind of a great blend of all of my interests. So anything like that yeah. for you? Not really to start, you know, I think it was, I'm a little fuzzy on the timing, but I think one of the times that I was shadowing at a clinic, I'd taken a spill over the handlebars of my bike and my, my wrist was kind of swollen and sore. So uh, one of the PTs, when I was in for my shadowing shift, mm -hmm. uh, she kind of did a couple of things. So that was cool. I don't think I had any particular moments or episodes that were really sort of formative or stuck out to me that way. Um, I guess I'm lucky in that I didn't have very many injuries yeah, that right? <laughs> sort of necessitated me to go see a physio. Um, but that said, it was, it did stick out to me as I was shadowing and seeing these people come in, you know, I would help out with applying these modalities and stuff like that. We can talk, we will talk about that in a few <laughs> minutes. Um, but just being able to talk to them and connect to them on a one-to-one -one level. We had police officers coming in, we had um, factory workers, we had teachers, we had people from all over and who had different priorities and they were trying to just make sure that whatever was happening didn't keep getting in the way of the things that they care about. And that was really cool. The fact that we as physios and other healthcare professionals can have that direct impact. So I think that was one of the defining features that made me want to get into it. And uh, yeah, thankfully, I've found that to be more and more true and fulfilling as I've worked longer in the field. Yeah, I think 
kind of what you are alluding to there is kind of something that stuck out to me as well. Um, and kind of, uh, uh, we're fortunate of as, you know, PTs is that, you know, we kind of get a lot of time, um, with patients compared to me, you know, maybe any other healthcare provider that, you know, only gets a few minutes at a time and we can really make those connections, which I think is super important. Um, and, you know, I think when I was shadowing before I applied to PT school, you know, it kind of stood out to me that, you know, most people that were there, they kind of like, it was a kind of like they were hanging out there a little bit. Like they enjoy, you know, they had that connection with their therapist and, you know, they kind of just had casual conversations and they weren't like miserable being there. And I'm, you know, not that that's always the case, but uh, yeah. I think that's definitely something that like stood out to me. And I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like you really have that chance to connect. And um, you know, at the time I was coaching too. So I was like, Oh, this is pretty similar. Like I can have these kind of conversations with people and, you know, help them get back to the things that they want to do. Yeah. Um, so I think that was something that kind of, we both picked up on. Well, yeah. And just to, to chime in there too, I think, I think you really nailed it. The, the connection is probably the defining thing that, that really makes or breaks almost any relationship, probably, um, probably irrespective of, exactly what um sort of setting it happens in whether it's rehab whether it's coaching whether it's you know you talking to the, the cashier at the grocery store if you can create some sort of connection and a genuine connection in that where you convey some sort of empathy and you know you try to help someone feel good or help solve a problem for someone uh, just for the sake of doing that you know I, those things go a long way and uh I think we've all had experiences where the opposite of those have happened. So to be able to, to have experiences where someone seems to genuinely care and genuinely want to go out of their way to help us out, I think that leaves a really positive impression in our minds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so good shadowing experience for yourself. Now, um, I didn't kind of know about this. So initially kind of didn't get into any of the schools that you applied to. Nope. Um, so if you don't mind kind of touching like did the, did you ever question the the end goal at that point and be like, you know, is it worth it kind of sticking with it? And I'm just, cause I've, I've talked to, you know, a few people that, you know, were thinking about physical therapy school and, you know, there's one individual in particular that sticks out in my mind who, you know, didn't get in. Um, yeah. but you know, we kind of had a conversation about kind of sticking with it. And that was like another year for him to kind of really, um, work on those areas and kind of him reaching out to the you know, programs that he wanted to go to and kind of making the best of that year and kind of yep. put him ahead of the next class. But kind of talk to me about your experience there, because that can be um, something that I'm sure that, you know, didn't feel great at the time, but you know, it sounds like it was a, you know, you took that, you used that year to kind of work um, in the field and took advantage of it. Yeah, man, absolutely. It, it definitely wasn't a fun feeling to to get rejected by all four schools. And it's a silly thing now, but it, it, it still felt significant at the time where most of the initial responses were through email or we had a particular portal that we applied through mm -hmm. and got our notification through. But one of the schools sent me a letter as well. So I got that like a week and a half to two weeks after I knew they already rejected me. So it was just a reminder to be like, hey, yeah, we still don't want you. Oh, oh, screw yeah. you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I know they didn't intend it to be that way. Yeah. But it's how it felt. So, um, yeah, I definitely did think about what my cutoff would be because my mind definitely went to, okay, what, what if I don't get in next year? Where, how long am I willing to ride this train? And I don't know if I solidly decided it, but I think I would have been thinking around like three, three attempts, something like that. And that's of course, providing that I had something or some things to do in the meantime, that would pay bills and allow me to, to still take care of myself. Um, and through all that process, I would be evaluating 
and reevaluating whether PT was something that I wanted to really something that I wanted to do. I think at that point I felt strongly enough that it would satisfy my, my desire to work one-on-one with people, be in the healthcare field, um, hopefully work in, with some level of athlete um, and just have, be able to create more of those, those interactions where I was able to positively impact someone's life um, that I'd seen before while shadowing. So I was convinced enough of that. And also I think that I would be good enough at that, you know, whatever good enough ended up meaning to me at the time mm-hmm. where I wanted to keep working at it. And, you know, I only had to deal with it for a year, but like you said, I tried to make the best of it. And my dad also was a really big influence there too. Um, he again, gave me the the kick in the butt to get up on the pavement. I remember vividly going around with my bike and a bunch of resumes and I Google maps, all of the different um, physio clinics in the area and just rode around and dropped off resumes. And then one of them ended up calling me in for an interview crushed that. That's where I worked for, for about a year. And then while I was working there, reapplied and uh, things worked out. So I got in just to one place. I still applied to four, only got into one, but I just needed the one. Yes. That's all you need. Yep. Exactly. Good. Well, I'm very happy that you ended up sticking with it. Um, and, and we'll kind of talk more about that, you know, later on in the show, but, um, now, kind of excited to, you know, maybe potentially work with some athletes and things like, and things like that. Um, what were you, you know, kind of most looking forward to learning, you know, in, in physio school? Um, and did you have, you know, was outpatient ortho kind of like already in your head of like, that's where you were going to practice? Yeah, yes, it was. And things that I was looking forward to the most, I remember having conversations with my roommate who had, she had gone to the same school for undergrad, we were a year apart, but because I had to wait a year to get in. We got into the program at the same time, uh, into the PT program at the same time, I should say. So we were both really excited to learn about differential diagnosis. And we, I think the way it started off, yeah. So our first year, the first two weeks was just a straight up crash course in anatomy. Mm -hmm. They played around with how they delivered that. But for our year, it was just anatomy for two weeks and like a quiz every day. So I understood why they did it. But during that time, my roommate and I would, occasionally have conversations like, oh, I just can't wait till we actually learn the real physio stuff in air quotes for those who mm-hmm. can't see. Um, and then so differential diagnosis, orthopedic testing, that was really where our minds were at. And that was the sort of stuff that I'd seen in the clinic. Um, I wasn't really thinking much about exercise prescription and uh, like I, I've been, I'd played sports and trained for a good chunk of my life up to that point. I had a decent grasp, or at least I thought I did. Um, so I, I think I felt like I had that squared away fairly well. Um, and I'm glad I didn't hold my hopes up too high because our exercise prescription portion was kind of crappy, but, but that's what was in our minds. And I said before, it's kind of funny how it's kind of crazy actually how different I am and how I think now compared to how I was in school, um, for a variety of reasons, but I'm, I'm, I'm at a point now where I still think that having a good, a really good grasp of those orthopedic uh, testing and treatment skills is important, you know, not just because you need to pass your boards to actually practice as a physio, but also because they, they end up mattering. Now, again, there's a lot of nuance here. It's very much not the case in many instances where we, the research shows that what we thought we knew is exactly what's, what's going on when we do a certain technique or a certain test. 
but I still think those have their place. You need to know them, but I, I'm at a point now where I think that really establishing a genuine connection with the person across from you, uh, understanding their story and getting really good at these communication skills, asking the right questions that falls into sort of the motivational interviewing category, demonstrating empathy, um, really making sure that they know that you're there for them and what they care about is what you care about. And then working collaboratively you know, as a team to really advance them forward so they eventually get where they want to go. I think that's really the bread and butter for all of us is not just PTs, but healthcare professionals and coaches in general. So anyway, I, that was me on a soapbox. Uh, to answer your question, <laughs> yes, ortho was where I was thinking I was going to go. And yeah, differential diagnosis is what I was looking forward to. Yeah. Um, but I, I absolutely love what you said there. It's, you know, what they care about is, is what you care about. And I think that's, you know, sometimes, you know, missed, unfortunately it's, you know, we have our own goals or our own biases that we kind of, you know, I definitely did it and I'm still working on this as I kind of evolve as a clinician is, you know, really listening to the patient's goals and kind of not making your own goals for the patient, you know, collaboratively, collaboratively, you work together on, on this, maybe establishing some goals, but understanding kind of what they want to, to get out of it, um, is super important. And then not just kind of pushing your kind of beliefs and everything on them. Um, yeah. so I love the way that you said that. Um, awesome. so talk to me a little bit on, you know, when did that, you know, the importance of communication and all of that stuff, when did that kind of really it's importance, you know, kind of take over, um, versus like the differential, not that it's not a point again, but you know, when did that kind of supersede kind of the importance of like special tests and things like that for you? Was it during school after? It was mostly after, um, to our program's credit, they did highlight the, or they did include in our curriculum, a, a decent chunk of material or curriculum on how to conduct interviews and how to motivationally interview, it, it, I mean, I'm speaking with my own biases as of right now, I would have loved to see that expanded upon more just given that I think now that that's such an important piece. Um, but they instilled that instilled the, the beginning seeds into us during school. I think my big shift started to happen probably about a year to two years out of school. And that was around the time that I was starting to look into clinical athlete and other similar organizations and just start to listen to other podcasts and, follow some people, uh, more seasoned clinicians than myself who were talking about these things. And then as, as I started to learn more about the research, as I started to read more research myself, um, it, it was sort of, not sort of, it was a very uncomfortable process to have such doubt cast on these things that, you know, I, I thought we knew for sure and that we were taught very clearly in school. And then to find out, eh, it's, not not nearly that clear cut a lot of the time. I think a lot of people can relate to this. I'd be curious to know if you can. Um, but that leaves <laughs> leads to my half joke was like a bi biweekly existential crisis. Uh, no, what do I actually know? What am I doing here? Does anything matter? You know. But um, over time, it's become easier not easy per se, but easier to to be more comfortable with that uncertainty and to focus in on the principles and the strategies that I think allow us to have confidence despite the uncertainty. Um, and that's a big reason why I focus on that communication and that relationship aspect so much, because as complex as people are, if we have a, a good enough grasp of some of the basic ideas of human psychology and why we do the things that we do, what motivates people to go to a clinic and try to get some help, 
and we can ask good questions, we can we can usually find ourselves in a position to really understand what they're after. And then as a team, figure out what the next logical steps might be. And I think if we have, uh, if we also acknowledge that people are complex and, you know, life is crazy, things rarely go exactly according to plan. So if we sort of think on our feet and we have some, some, maybe a framework that lends itself well to adaptability and flexibility, it allows us to kind of roll with those punches and, just make sure that we're, we're doing right by our patients as best we can. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, to speak to kind of um, your question before it's, you know, I definitely have that crisis all the time. I think it was like just last week to one of my coworkers, um, you know, on discharge, we use a global rate of change scale. And, and sometimes, you know, at the end of, you know, at someone's discharge, I'm like, you know, did I actually like get that person better? Or did they just like really like me? And like, <laughs> and so I'm like, do I, do I really thing. do anything? Um, I forget like yeah. who said it, but like, someone brought up the concept of like, just being like a walking placebo basically. And I was just yeah. like, I, yep, that's, I think essentially a lot of what I do. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, kind of, you know, learning stuff to me, going through school and like, you know, like special tests and all that stuff, they're being not as special. Um, and you're getting an air quotes for people that can't see <laughs> us. Um, I think for me, it was kind of freeing in a regard of like, okay, you know, there's so much stress of like doing everything perfectly, but it's just like, okay, even if I do this special test perfectly, like, does it actually tell me anything? And like knowing that, you know, you know, maybe when things cluster together, you get a little bit more of a, you know, guess kind of guide you down a path a little bit more but other than that you know to me it was kind of like okay whew, like it doesn't have to be like it was a little stress off my shoulders being like things don't nice. have to be like perfect and um but it's definitely i think you know navigating the uncertainty is a very real thing <laughs> so right. embrace um, the void yeah but it you know and that's part of you know the the thing that was nice about kind of you know being exposed to level up and clinical athlete very early on in in mm. my schooling was that, you know, hearing other people kind of going through that themselves was very kind of reassuring and like, you know, cause on a daily basis, I'm like, sometimes I'm just like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing sometimes. <laughs> and, yep. and just have others going through that struggle. And cause you go online and, you know, there are people that speak so confidently about certain things, but just having people being like, you know, we, we don't know, we can't speak confidently really about anything. Like we don't truly know anything. Um, I think that was, you know, one of the best things that I've really found about those communities is just people are very real and honest about that. That's awesome to hear you say that, man. And I can, I can say with confidence that from every, from the perspective of everyone on the clinical athlete team, like that right there is, is the entire reason that it exists. Uh, Quinn, um, for those who aren't familiar, Quinn Hennick, and then the guy who's more behind the scenes, Derek Sawyer, they co-founded clinical athlete. I want to say back in 2015. And, and that was really, one of, if not the biggest driving factor for creating it in the first place. And just knowing that you're not alone. I mean, I talked about sort of basic, um, basic psychological drivers. That's one of them. You know, we're social animals. We want to make sure typically that we don't feel isolated and alone. And just to know that we're not the only people dealing with this particular problem and to be able to talk things through and not even necessarily land on an answer then and there, but just to be able to have those conversations and to look at the example of people who maybe don't claim to have it all figured out, but they can explain their thought processes and how they arrive there and what they think right now is maybe the best way forward. 
I think, I think it lends us lends itself to the feeling of us all (laughs) sounds cliche, but all kind of being in it together, which I think is appropriate if we all got into this field to help other people, which I, I think is the driving factor for most of us, or I'd hope that would be. Yep. Then knowing that we can, we can work together to figure out what the, the best course of action is now and adapt as we get more information. I think for me, at least that's been a really comforting thing. And uh, to hear that, that was the case for you. That's awesome, man. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I'm, you know, I give shout outs to those two companies all the time because I honestly have no idea where I would be without kind of the stuff that they've put out and being able to get involved with kind of, you know, the forum and, you know, the mentorship through level up has been honestly like life changing. Um, again, like it's, it's changed a lot and I'm forever grateful for it. Um, so for people that maybe, you know, aren't too familiar with, with clinical athlete, you know, why would, you know, to you and obviously aside from like the kind of community there of like, again, not being alone and having people kind of going through the struggle, but also like working collectively towards trying to help people. Um, you know, why, you know, why should someone get involved with the forum? And then also like, what's your kind of favorite part about being about the community itself? Yeah. Great questions. Um, I think one of the, I think there are a few reasons I might point to for the forum, particularly, uh, the forum is really, something that we've worked or continue to work hard at in, in terms of building up and just pumping as much value into uh, as, as possible. We want people to be able to go in there and be able to find stuff on virtually any topic that they would want to learn about um, and, and not have it all be about business. You know what I mean? Where it's not all necessarily clinical learning, but there's just opportunity to network and to, I don't know, just be, be a normal human with other people who are dealing with similar stuff. Um, I think one of the biggest things that struck me when I first got into the forum and continues to strike me is the caliber of, of knowledge and expertise that lives in the people who frequent the forum. So you get people like Scott Morrison, you get people like, um, Jason, Ewer, Sam Spinelli, these guys in my mind, uh, end up being intellectual giants and they're, they're doing big things to help push our profession forward, I think too. And, um, it was, it used to be a little intimidating. I mean, maybe, maybe some people might say it still is, but you show up to the forum and then someone might post a a question about manual therapy and this particular narrative. And then it used to be the case where you got slapped with a wall of text from someone like Derek miles telling you 17 ways why you're wrong. Um, all very classy, mind you. Uh, (laughs) I say that I really love and respect Derek miles though. Um, so we're, we're, we definitely want to make sure that Anybody who checks out the forum feels like there's a wealth of, of knowledge to draw from. And there are people who, who know a lot and are very willing to share that. We've again, made um, pretty substantial efforts to try to reduce that level of like intimidation factor. It, It probably never goes away, but we very much want people to feel welcome and like they can ask anything and that they, you know, other people might disagree, but we want to make sure that this whole discussion, a whole discourse happens very, very um, courteously for one. And that is focused on helping everybody move forward. It's not a, it's not a contest to see who's right and who's wrong, you know, and how badly you can beat the other person. It's not about that because that doesn't belong in the forum. It's much more about making sure that we as coaches and clinicians um, and students and new grads and seasoned vets and all that are just better equipped 
to handle the uncertainties of, of clinical and, and coaching life, and then ultimately do better with the people in front of us, you know, who, who trust us to do that. Um, to the second part of the question, it was, what was, what, what my favorite part of all mm-hmm. this is <sighs> honestly, man, at this point, it's, it's stuff like this, um, where, you know, you shot me this message. What was it last week or something like that? Yeah. Like, yeah, week, week and a half ago, maybe. And like you said, we've talked before, but, um, you wanting to extend that invitation and you saying what you said a few minutes ago about the impact that level up and clinical athlete have had. And you, you were generous enough to say it was sort of a star star moment for me, which is very flattering. And I really do appreciate that, man. Uh, and I say that not in a joking way. I mean, that's really moments like that really crystallized for me, the, the power of, of these platforms. And it just really fires me up to keep putting out good info and to really connect with more people. There's a theme there on my end. Um, because when I first came on uh, with Clinical Athlete to do more of like the behind the scenes work and, and line up um, events and stuff like that, and I got invited to be on the podcast, I was, <laughs> the imposter syndrome was so real. <laughs> I was an avid listener. I was one of the six listeners, yep. <laughs> you know, and listened to every, every episode faithfully shortly after it came out. And suddenly I was, I was on it and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. I, sorry, if I can cuss here, I don't know if I can or not. No, you're good. Sweet. Um, (laughs) So it's, it's very much been a, uh, it's been a a pretty cool, very cool ride. Um, And I'm very much trying to to keep learning. And that's, that's another thing that I really love about the communities where um, I think everybody that I've talked to, has a really good level of humility. They know stuff like they're very smart, but they're also very willing to just talk and not talk down to you, but just talk with you again for the same purpose of just mutual betterment. So, yeah, man. yeah, I definitely hundred percent agree with that. It's, you know, there are some, you know, intellectual monsters mm-hmm. on that forum and, yeah. you know, people like, you know, Sam, uh, who, you know, has a huge following even on Instagram and I've kind of, chatted with him through Instagram before. And it's like, you know, however many followers he has, but like when Mm -hmm. he actually takes the time to respond and like in a very genuine way, it's, it it really means a lot, especially like as a, as a new grad. Um, And, you know, even someone like yourself and like your posts that you, you put out, like the content is, is incredible. And, and people, you know, obviously there's, you know, positives and negatives with social media and things like that. But to me, it's been, again, invaluable just to connect with people and, again, kind of finding resources. So, you know, someone like a lot of, I always say it, like a lot of my phone album is just like pictures, snap uh, screenshots of like papers and yeah. podcasts that people share. Um, yeah. So being able to connect to that has been absolutely awesome. Um, one of the, and I think maybe uh, it was a maybe an Instagram live that you did kind of one of the um, reasons that kind of really wanted to kind of have you on as well, um, Mm -hmm. was a question that you had gotten. I think it was in, uh, an Instagram live. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a question that was what makes you different from a personal trainer Mm -hmm. in regards to, um, you being healthcare professionals who don't use much or any passive interventions in the treatment styles. So when you initially kind of put that out, Mm -hmm. I, you know, what you said really kind of resonated with me because, 
you know, we, uh, the clinic that I work at, we share space with, a with the gym and I really don't, again, and this doesn't have to be like a manual therapy discussion or anything like that, but like I don't, and you know, I do manual therapy, you know, when I feel like it's warranted, sure. but I don't do a lot, you know, in comparison to maybe like your average clinician again, in air quotes. Yeah. Um, and sometimes like I was, you know, I kind of think to myself, you know, if you were to look at one of my treatment sessions and like look on the other side of the gym and see one of the personal trainers working with one of their clients, it probably doesn't look a lot different. Um, so I really kind of liked that kind of when you spoke about that topic. So if you don't mind kind of going into that a little bit more, because, you know, especially for maybe some people that are involved with clinical athlete and things like that, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they kind of have that crisis at times of like, okay, you know, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm not as heavy with the manual as I, as I was kind of out of school. Um, you know, can you go into that topic a little bit more? Totally, man. Yeah. And I, I, I definitely agree. I think it's, it's something that I struggled with. Um, you know, it still pops up every now and then for me, but I, I think it can be a, a very common experience, um, for a variety of reasons. You know, one is the public perception of, of what physical therapy is. People come in with a certain expectation and that's part of why I, I really find it necessary as part of the subjective eval to ask them what their expectations are because that kind of helps me know whether or not I'm on the same page with them or not. And if we're not, you know, gives me an idea of how and when I want to start to broach that conversation. But that's one reason uh, you can have pressure from employers and and colleagues, especially, well, uh, at least in my experience, it's been a little bit tougher with sort of big open concept, uh, clinic spaces where mm-hmm. my client might look around and see a lot of other people getting a bunch of manual therapy and modalities. And that's not typically how I roll, you know, and I'm, I'm the same as you. I do some manual therapy here or there. I pref- I'm much happier when I don't. Um, and I prefer, I, I make an effort not to, or to use as little of it as I can. And I talk about that with my patients up front. I give my reasons. I try to keep it short, but to stay on topic, um, you know, if we're, if we're asked that question of what makes us as PTs or rehab professionals who don't do much or any um, passive intervention, be it manual therapy or other modalities, what makes us different from a personal trainer? There are a few things. So one is schooling and our expertise. We have to go through a lot more schooling. We're also regulated health professionals, and that means something. And the regulation is meant to make sure that the public is, is protected and is assured a certain level of, of quality care. You know, and I think that's effective to a certain degree. Again, more of a conversation that could be had there, but we'll leave that for another time. Mm-hmm. So schooling, regulation, uh, scope of practice is another one. You know, we're allowed to do certain things, might be able to communicate a diagnosis and, and do other things that a personal trainer would not. Um, and then again, going back to public perception, the public will come to rehab professionals and PTs, physical therapists specifically here, not personal trainers, um, for, for certain things that they may not go to a personal trainer for, you know, and vice versa. Now, just like you said, if you were to look at a good number of my sessions, if you were to look at me across the, the gym, cause we're also uh, a clinic space within a larger gym setting. If you were to look at me across the gym and look at one of the other coaches or trainers, there may not be a whole lot of difference. And I don't see that as a, a bad thing at all. If we're starting from the place of really understanding the client's story and what their, what their current issues are and what their goals are, I think that we can also, we also really need to inform our actions by having a a solid grasp of 
say basic strength conditioning principles and literature and when it comes to um, exercise physiology, because one of the things that I think is prevalent in PT, I'm, I'm going to start saying physical therapy just for the distinction here in physical therapy or rehab is that we tend or a lot of people tend to underload their clients. You know, if we're talking about a tendinopathy or we're talking about um, something, uh, a muscle strain and the person's trying to get back to competitive sports, there's a good chance that if we were to sample people randomly from across, let's just say North America, um, there's a good chance that people are being underloaded compared to what we know in the research, right? So again, it all in my mind comes back to understanding what the person wants to get back to, what they're having trouble with right now, and how we can most effectively help them get back to their meaningful activities. Now, this doesn't exclude necessarily the use of passive interventions. But I do think that we have a responsibility as, as rehab professionals to give a lot of thought to how, how we can, how we should best use the time and in effect the money that people are spending on our services so that we can most effectively give them the, the results that they're looking for. And in most cases, I'll say that most cases, some sort of active intervention is, is probably what needs to be the meat and potatoes, not the only thing on the plate, but probably the mainstay. Um, could be definite exceptions to that, that rule. Um, there are lots of qualifiers there, but <clears throat> I think with that, with that framework or that viewing things through that lens, that might hopefully help explain um, to someone someone else who may not necessarily share that bias, why a good chunk of our sessions may not look that different from a personal trainer. And now the last thing I'll say before I pause for a minute is that this is not to, to create a, a dichotomy between like you're either in rehab or you're working with a personal trainer and the t- never the twain shall meet. Um, I very much think that we should be f- building networks of people in all different scopes. And that's, again, one of the big things that clinical athlete was created for so that we can work with personal trainers and coaches and uh, physios and chiros and massage therapists so that whatever the needs are of a client who comes to see us, we maybe as their primary care provider um, can help sort of manage that, that case. Maybe they start off seeing us cause they have some sort of strain and it's more appropriate for them to begin things under our supervision, but maybe they're feeling good. Maybe their pain is, is gone. If that was an issue for them uh, and they just really want to keep getting stronger. Maybe that's a good time to introduce a conversation uh, to the client about, Hey, what would you think about continuing on with this strength conditioning coach? I've worked with, with him or her before. I can vouch for their, their effectiveness. We, in a, or, uh, we communicate regularly. So, you know, I'd still be in the loop. You know, do you think that would, that would serve you the best? So, uh, and, and vice versa. If you're a personal trainer and your client is having some issues and it seems a little outside your scope or some little bell in your head is kind of ringing, that might be a good time to tag in a physical therapist and be like, Hey, to the client, I want you to go see him or her. Uh, I've sent people their way before. I think this would help us to just make sure that there's nothing that we're missing. And if there's not fantastic, we keep going. If there is something that needs addressing, perfect. We address it and then we go from there. So that was a whole word vomit, but hopefully some of that made sense. 
No, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing that kind of stands out to me is kind of, and we've talked about it a lot, just kind of even talking about Clint Clathley, but just, you know, that, that network. Right. And I think a lot of times it is this unnecessary like turf war between like, Oh, you're either, you know, PT or, or, you know, going physical therapy or working with a personal trainer, but mm-hmm. I don't think it has to be like that way or should, it shouldn't be that way because I think again, the, end goal should be to help that patient or client get to their goals. So, you know, if it's a a personal trainer that's working with someone, and again, like you were saying, there's, you know, an injury that, you know, maybe they've tried to modify some things, but things kind of aren't progressing the way that you would maybe typically expect, or if they're feeling not comfortable with that situation, having a physical therapist that, you know, they're comfortable kind of referring to, I think it is fantastic, a fantastic resource for them to have. Um, And then, you know, can't speak for, for everyone personally, but for, you know, for myself, like Mm. when someone comes to me, like I'm not trying to see them for longer than I have to. So I'm, if they're telling me that, like when people tell me that they're working with a personal trainer, um, Mm -hmm. especially if it's like someone that I know, if it was like one of the trainers that I know in the gym, I'm like super excited about that. So I'm like, all right, perfect. Basically let's figure out what's going on or, Mm -hmm. and then let's kind of line up some steps to get you kind of back doing that. And then, you know, basically so you don't have to see me anymore. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I think that, you know, again, having that network for like myself, it's like kind of what you were saying before being like, Hey, like, you know, the pain that we initially were dealing with, you know, that's improved. And how about kind of continuing the progress that you're making, but you know, with a strength coach or a personal trainer and having someone that you can trust that, you know, has maybe similar narratives to kind of what you're saying and things like that. I think yeah. that's huge. Um, because you don't always, you know, if I would love to state confidently that I would be comfortable referring someone to just any personal trainer or any physio, any healthcare provider, but I, you know, I unfortunately can't say that at this, at this moment. Um, so having that network, I think is, is an amazing resource, um, as the, you know, clinician or or personal trainer, but more so again, the winner in all of this is the client or the patient. Um, Totally agree, man. And I, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head. If, if we go into this with the, the primary objective being giving the client what they need, provided that we're in a position to give it, um, then that's, that's perfect. And there, there probably will be a point. There should be a point where they're, they're doing well enough, or if we've done our job well, at least in my mind, there will be a point where they don't need to see us at all, or, or at least maybe we can leave things open-ended, but we want to try to give them as much self-efficacy as possible. If we can't get there and they're not progressing, that's probably an indication that something else either has been missed or they, they probably would do best in the care of somebody else. We need to refer on to, to some, someone else. Um, so I think having that humility and, and making, having the integrity to make the decisions that are in the client's best interest, even if it would be really nice if we could just keep billing them forever. Um, you know, I think that goes a long way and it's my belief and I've seen it more so lately that people respect that and they value that where it might be the more lucrative, uh, thing in the short term and more beneficial for us, for us to continue to see them as often as we can for as long as, as they'll let us or their insurance will cover, but if instead we try to build them up, give them the tools to take care of themselves and make that be the explicit goal in, in alignment with what they want for themselves, 
And then we tell them like, Hey, I could keep seeing you. Um, and I'd be fine if you want to do that. But I, I think that you're ready to maybe spend some time on your own. I'll be here if you need me. Um, let me know. I think people, people, when they see us making those decisions to not uh, take their money, but rather, you know, let them be, have the freedom that they want uh, that sticks with them. And then if something happens down the road, they are probably going to come back to us because hopefully we provided a good enough experience to make them want to come back. And I also think it's important to highlight that all running a successful and profitable business and doing right by your clients and, and making these decisions, those aren't mutually exclusive. It can feel that way. And, and I've, I've seen it done. I've seen sales done where it just feels slimy. And that's part of what pushed me further in the other direction where I ended up probably not, not doing as much as I could um, to, to really deliver my full value for a client. And now I'm kind of finding how to blend those two. But I very much think that we can be profitable employees or independent contractors or clinic owners and still make sure that doing right by the client is, is at the, the fore uh, for everything that, that we're doing. Yeah, I think, I think that one, you know, kind of speaks to just you as a person and a clinician yourself, where obviously you have your own business and knowing that, yes, financially, it would be great if you, you know, could keep seeing that person forever more than, you know, after they probably even needed to, but knowing that deep down, it's like, I think you don't need me anymore. And I'm going to be honest and tell you that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that that just, again, I think that just speaks to the person that you are and, you know, and thankfully, you know, through the the community that, you know, you're a part of through, you know, clinical athlete, and then also just through level up kind of meeting people like that, just really, it, it makes you feel good and being like, okay, there are people that are really trying to, to do right by people and are in it for the right reasons. Like you kind of said in the beginning where, you know, you were hoping that, you know, the people that go into these professions like physical therapy are, are really in it to, to help people. And, you know, again, I'm, and I'm sure like, I don't have my own business, so I, I don't know that stress, but I'm sure that it can, you know, there's times when it gets, you know, things get rough, especially with kind of the year that we've been dealing with. Um, yeah. but again, still kind of holding on to that integrity. Um, I, I, I truly commend you for that. And, uh, I just really appreciate hearing that. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. It means a lot. Um, awesome. Well, I really kind of, you know, appreciate you taking the time to, to join me today. I think, you know, I absolutely loved the the conversation that we had and I kind of learned a little bit more about you that I really didn't know about, um, in terms of kind of your background, kind of going through school and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but for anyone that might be interested in kind of learning more from you or anything like that, where can, where can people go to find you? Totally, man. Yeah. So social media, that's a, that's a safe bet. Excuse me. On Instagram, it's Jared Maynard underscore PT. Shoot me a DM. You can follow me on there. I'm I'm really active on there these days. You can find me on Facebook as well. Just Jared Maynard. If you want to send me an email, uh, you got a couple places to do that. One, if there's anything related even remotely to clinical athlete, um, you know, whether you think it's for you, other events that we might be involved with, jared at clinicalathlete.com that's the one to send it to and then the other one if you're interested in coaching or yeah you're just trying to get strong and and that sort of thing unbreakable strength online at gmail.com that would be the one to send it to but uh but again just to keep things simple follow me on on social media um and i'm I'm really open to any questions any conversations people want to have um i'm here to to really try to help as much as i can just because i've been fortunate enough to have 
have some really influential people do the same thing for me. So it's just about paying it forward. And, uh, and yeah, shameless plug for clinical athlete. If you're not familiar with, with it, go check it out. Um, join the forum. I'll, I'll say that strongly just because it really, we've worked hard to make it really valuable. And, uh, and I think it, it is that it'll continue to be more and more valuable. And, uh, and last thing before I shut up, um, follow clinical athlete at, on social media. We've got some big announcements coming up, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Yeah. Awesome. And again, I don't get any, any backing from saying this, but I a hundred percent agree, you know, join the forum honestly, you can't go wrong. Um, you know, however, I will, you know, take a, maybe a, you know, one of those new clinical athlete shirts that are rumored to be Ooh. coming out soon. Don't worry. Um, we'll, we'll see if we can <laughs> Don't you worry. I like um, that. You know, but either way, take my money. I want that to come out immediately. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, Quinn just always has it on. I'm like, dude, stop teasing us all. Just, we need them. So, so quick story there. Um, it's been, do you know, Taylor Allen Flanick? She was our, yeah. our, awesome. So she's, uh, she's been fantastic. She was the one who brought that up again. Cause I think all of us on the clinical athlete team, have said at some point, you know, we need some, some apparel people like I want to wear the shirt. I'm sure other people want to wear the shirt and it just hasn't happened. So big props to Taylor. Cause she took a point on that to make it, uh, to make it a thing. So we, I think had a couple of samples made, got to sort something out with the the quality of the logo. Just got to sort, just get that all, all looking proper so that when we make the full launch, everyone's going to be real happy, but it's coming. I promise. Yeah. Awesome. And yeah, thank you guys. Thank you, Taylor for taking us. Yes. Uh, getting us all what we need, what we want. Um, but awesome. Thank you again, Jared. Um, and thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of Mike check. Um, if you feel so inclined leave a review and a rating, um, but that'll do it for today's show and I'll see you guys next time. Peace.